You're listening to Creed and Deed, a podcast discussing biblical truth and its application to everyday life. The Creed Indeed with Tim Hare and Rob Lindley. We're excited to be on the podcast today. Tim, we've got a, a great cast ahead of us, but we have looked into the past at the past nine chapters of Genesis, and they are filled with the truth of God's Word, and, and we've been applying those truths into the modern world and the workplace in which we live. Tim, how are you doing today? I'm good. Hey, and before we get going, we gotta we got to celebrate for a moment because this is, uh, this is our 10th episode. So, uh, 10th episode. That's fantastic. 10th episode. And so we're getting, uh, congratulations yeah, getting on your, uh, 10th episode. Also, congratulations yeah. on the Pokes big win this weekend over the, your TCU home frogs. Oh my goodness. Uh, <laughs> Let's, how about we talk about the Dallas Cowboys? <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so, but the, the, what you can mark, what's marked uh, down in the world is going on and uh, Oklahoma state has a good defense. So they have a good defense. here we are in Genesis 10 though. We, we are excited to look through the book of Genesis and we come to one of the, uh, one of my favorite texts of scripture here in Genesis 11 and Genesis 10 is, is the narrative that leads up to it. The genealogy that leads up to this uh, big event in Genesis 11 um, it's, it's so interesting that the, the nations is talked about in scripture so much, uh, God as the God of all nations and taking the gospel to the nations. There's so much narrative here. There's so much depth and wisdom. I'm excited to talk to you about this today. Tell yeah. us what well, what so, uh, what are some well, things you want to talk about this morning? Yeah, well, before we, let's let's just uh, if we can just do a quick recap because I think it'll be helpful to know kind of where we are and what's going on. Um, and let's and do it. I can do this just real briefly, but uh, we, we've we've seen some patterns, uh, lots of patterns, and and in the first in the first nine chapters, there's there's two primary characters that take center stage other than God himself. Uh, but it's Adam and Noah. And when you look at their lives and what went on in, in, the, in the narratives here, there's just a whole lot of similarities. And so you have, you have Adam who was, uh, came about through the creation. He's created by God. God plants man, plants Adam in the garden, and, and he gives Adam and Eve this mandate uh, to to, to fill the earth, to expand the garden. And in that mandate, Adam is going to function as a, as a kind of a priestly king where he's, he's serving, he's going before God, and he's ruling, he's having dominion over the earth. Uh, but Adam sins, and he, he rebels against God. They eat of the fruit, of the forbidden fruit. And then you have a, uh, immediately following a, a recognition of, of their nakedness and, and, their, and their, their shame through that. And, and God's judgment, he, he, he lays down these curses upon them. Uh, but in the curse, there's a promise, a promise that God 
will defeat the serpent, that he will crush the head of the serpent. And so, so we're looking, we're looking for this promise. And immediately after the promise, God covers their nakedness uh, through a through a sacrifice of animals. And that's kind of the first sacrifice that we see. And then immediately following that, we see that Adam's son, Cain, sins and he kills his his brother. Uh, so, so when we kind of think of that storyline, and then we then we come to Noah, and and, and after you know Cain's uh, wickedness, it grows. Uh, wickedness grows on 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 the earth. There's violence. There's corruption. You have uh, it's to the point where where it says of God that he he regrets that he he made uh, mankind. Everything is horrible, and so so he brings this flood, and, and and there's but there's one righteous man, and so so Noah, just like Adam, was kind of there for this recreation of the world. Um, and, and, and where it's just Noah and, and his family in an ark with the animals, very similar to Adam with his family in the garden with the animals, uh, and immediately following as Noah gets off of the ark, he offers a sacrifice. Uh, and then from that sacrifice, God, God smells the pleasing aroma and he makes a promise that he will never, he will never, uh, bring judgment in this way again upon the world. And then there's this mandate to Noah to be fruitful and multiply, and in that mandate, Noah is given this uh, is seen to have again just like just like Adam a priestly king role. It's, it's priestly in that he offers a sacrifice, uh, but he's called to rule and to to, to reign over the land. Uh, and then immediately following that, you have you have here's Noah in this kind of garden, in this vineyard, in this fruitful place, and he sins. He gets drunk, and it says. There's a recognition of nakedness that he lays uncovered. And then his son sins, right? And, and, and looks upon the nakedness of his father. Uh, and then you have a covering of the nakedness by the brothers. And so the brothers are kind of seen doing to Noah what God did to Adam. Uh, and then following that, there's a curse. And so you have all of these, these connections between these two, between Adam and Noah. And, and there's kind of, they come and uh, they're not, you know, kind of linear, like perfect things, but it's, it's, it's all things that we're supposed to see this and glean kind of a, a different aspect of how God is working and what's going on through these, through these narratives. Mm-hmm. And that then brings us to, uh, uh, kind of a, another genealogy of, sh- of sorts in Genesis 10. Rob, do you have anything to add before we kind of move on? No, I, I think it's, I think it's so interesting, the similarities of the of even even at the end, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth is is the exact same uh, command that was given in the garden after the flood. It's the exact same command of of in which we'll see here in a minute that the the people of Babel uh, that build the Tower of Babel under Nimrod do not uh, do not do not fulfill. Um, they, they do not fill the earth. They stay in one place. And, uh, God's, God's wanting his image to move throughout his creation, not to stay in one place. And, and we'll see, see what happens when it does stay in one place. But it's so interesting, the, the, the similarities that you pointed out. I'm, I'm excited to get to Genesis chapter 10. Let's, let's talk about that. Tim. So, so Genesis, the, the generations, Right. Yes, the generation. And really, we 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 call this kind of a genealogy, but it's really what I've I've heard people call it is a is an ethnograph, meaning it's a it's a graph of the nations. 
the nations of the world. Mm. This is kind of lining them out where they come from, uh, different regions. And so there are, uh, there, there we, 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 there's three sons of, of Noah, uh, Japheth, Ham, and Shem. And so it's going to trace these nations through these three guys. And so it begins with Japheth, and there's 14 nations that are given. Uh, then it moves to, uh, in verses 6 through 20, it moves to Ham. And in Ham, there's, there's 30 different nations that are given. And then it moves to Shem. And Shem, there are mm. 26 nations that are given. Uh, and so here's what's interesting. When you add up all of those, uh, you get 70. And so there are 70 nations that are kind of representative of all the nations of the world. I think that's kind of the idea. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not that this is 70 nations that, that uh, that's every, because right now the world is filled with more than 70 nations, but it's this idea of, that all of the nations come from that, come from them. And so it's, I think it's, it's, it's the strategic by the yeah. author yeah. that he's using 70 here. And, and there's significance of, of the number 70 uh, really throughout scripture, just, just a couple places, but uh, like there's going to be 70 elders that are appointed to represent, uh, g- to represent God to the people with Moses. Uh, Jesus in the mm. New Testament sends out yeah. 70 disciples. Mm. And so mm. um, this, this idea of, of its, its, its completeness, its totality, uh, but it, but it becomes a theme throughout scripture. weeks in Daniel, right? 70. Oh yeah. I mean, it's 70 it's weeks everywhere. in Daniel, right? It's yes. Yeah. So you have the lineage of Shem, which is God's people. And then you have the lineage of Ham, which is the people of the serpent or the people of Cain or the people, um, that we will see later described as Babylon my question is who is who is Japheth? Who is the people of Japheth in connection with these two lineages, and how do they come into play here? Yeah, I, I don't think there's really a, a ton of significance uh, to Japheth. What I've heard is that those it's more informing us of of uh, if you were the ancient. In the ancient Near East, and you were reading this, you would be know where these are, and and so what's believed that these are the Mediterranean nations, and so um, Italy, uh, Crete, Greece, uh, those are where the descendants of Japheth uh, moved towards. Uh, Ham and his lineage kind of move uh, south and west. And so they have, um, well, no, they, they, they kind of go, they go east as east as well. Um, yeah, I, I don't know that there's a ton and, but here's, I, and I was going to bring this out at the end, but I may go ahead and bring this out. There is, there is some parallel, uh, when you follow the line, the lineage of Adam to Noah, and then from Noah down to Terah. Uh, so, so. Adam to Noah, there's 10 generations. Then if you begin with Noah again and you go to uh, Terah, there's 10 generations. Well, at the end, Mm. uh, Noah and Terah each have three sons. And there's one of those sons that carries on uh, the name, if you will, 
of the Lord, who's, who the Lord is going to work through. And you really don't know what goes on with these other two guys. Uh, and, and, or, or, right. or at least one of the guys that, that becomes, you know, we just don't know. Like it just, there's nothing that's really mentioned. They populate the earth, they go live somewhere. Uh, but there, there seems to be kind of a pattern there of, of these 10 generations, three sons, and God's working through one of those sons. Right. So he works through, he works through the line well, of Shem and he works through the line right. of, of Abraham. I know you want to get to Nimrod and talk about this uh, mighty, mighty man well, here in verse eight of chapter 10. You, you yeah, want to go there first or would you sure. like to go I mean, that's, that's kind of, uh, kind of what's up now. And, and you need to remember in genealogies or these lists of names, when you're in a list of names and the author decides to put in a little story, you need to pay attention to the story because it's, he's, he's highlighting it. It's his way of saying this, this is going to be really important. You need to remember this guy and remember these kingdoms. And so verse eight of Genesis 10 says, Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the fa- he was the first on earth to be a mighty man. Uh, that that word mighty man is what is how the the Nephilim are described in Genesis six. So there's a lot of people that think he is he is a, he is of the Nephilim. Um, it says he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Achad, mm. Kalne, in Ooh. the land of Shinar. Uh, from that land, he went into Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth, Ir, Kalah, Ooh, and Reston between place. Nineveh and Kalah. That is the great city. Uh, so so you, this guy, I mean, this is really uh, in, this, in, the, in the description of, of Ham and these descendants and these nations. It's really setting up for us the rest of the Old Testament uh, because it's, it's, it's Babel and Assyria that are going to be the ones responsible for bringing the people of God into exile. Um, in verse 13, it talks about Egypt, right? Egypt is going to be problematic for God's people. Uh, then you have you have Canaan in verse 15. Canaan fathered Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth. And you have this list that we're going to hear these guys again, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Archites, the Sinites, the Arvidites, the Zemurites, the Hamathites. Uh and, and you get this land description. This is the only land description here. And the territory of the Canaanites extended from Sidon to, in the direction of Gerar as far as Gaza and the land of Sodom, Gomorrah, Admon, Zeboim, as far as Lasha. Why, why are we supposed to know that? Well, that's the land of Canaan. Those, that's the boundaries of what God's people are. He's going to give to them. Uh, and so already you, you have mm. that put in there and it's setting us up for, for, for what's going to take place really in the rest of the Old Testament. Um, right here, it's it's kind of God's like people it will conquer them by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Right here, mm-hmm. love it. All right, so so tell us tell us about this this Nimrod character. Who well, is this I, guy? It, Why is he upon the earth? Why does they call him a mighty hunter? I mean, that, with that, we're not we're not sure. There's there's something unique about him. Um. You know, I, I would I would uh, believe that he is he is a, a descendant of a of a rebellious fallen angel who has uh, you know taken a a human wife, uh, and so he is he has uh, pro- what we believe would be some sort of mightier stature. He's more powerful. He's able to do things that others aren't able to do. But he uses everything to set up a kingdom 
that that is going to be problematic, and we're going to see how problematic it is in Genesis Genesis eleven. Uh, but but it, it, it's his descendants and his it's these people that are that are going to uh, that are going to rise up against against God's people, and um, mm. that, that God is going to work through to overcome these guys. And so so yeah, I think um, I think he's a well, Nephilim. You have this. Yeah. yeah, I think I think I think that uh, he can be he can be a mixture of God's people and 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 really satanic in his own right. But I think I think you see some and and you can read into the text a little bit here, but you see some antichrist like traits in this man. First sure. of all, he's very powerful. Uh, he has he has the commerce and that he's a hunter. Um, some, some commentators actually believe that he is a hunter of men here in which he hunts men down. Um, so he, he may be a warrior type figure. Uh, he may be a, um, a, a man, but we know that he sets up the kingdom, uh, of Babel, which again, we're going to talk about here in a minute, but, uh, can refer to, the great kingdom of Babylon, which which is talked about throughout the scriptures, and uh, really the really the beginning of false religion upon the earth, the beginning of 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 satanic worship, and yeah. uh, this is an interesting and an interesting uh, interesting man here that the Bible points us to in this land of Shinar, so. Tim, let's let's go to uh, chapter eleven, Tower yeah. of Babel. Well, hey, real quickly, because uh, just to so Genesis ten, uh, this is where it, if we think of all of the books of the Bible as as it's giving a chronological accounting, um, Genesis ten goes beyond the Tower of Babel. So if you look at verse twenty five, it says to Eber were born two sons, the name of the one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided. Right. And his brother's name was Joktan. And then, at the concluding, at the conclusion of each of the uh, of the sons' kind of nations, you have this line, um, like ten verse five, each with his own language by their clans in their nations. Again, in verse uh, twenty, these are the sons of Ham by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. And then again in verse thirty-one, these are the sons of Shem by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. Well. How did they come to different languages? That doesn't happen until after chapter 11. And so so chapter 11 is kind of a flashback giving kind of further exposition on how these people got divided. Um, and so mm. so just a lot of times we can we, we read the the this and then you kind of just think, oh, the Tower of Babel happens after. Well, it's actually it's 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 just adding further light on what is going on in chapter 10. Um and so, uh, and it's going to describe how these divisions took place, how these people uh, were were separated. And so, uh, so I'll tell you what, let me read the the first four verses here, and then I'll let you give your thoughts, and then maybe I'll give some of mine. But it says this, um, eleven verse one. Now the whole earth had one language, and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. 
Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. with your ride and come and save us but those you love be saved to know that you hear us come and save us come and help us with your ride and come and save us but those you love be saved to know that you hear us uh any thoughts you have rob yeah, I, I think uh, one of the things that they've dug up in in archaeology um, is a, a tower called the Ziggurat, which they've uncovered um, in a lot of cities in this part of the world. And the, and the tower is, is supposed to be this connection uh, between God and man, a stairway to heaven, if you will, mm-hmm. and um, man's attempt to to be God himself or to get to God on his own uh, way or desire. And we have this, this first beginning of false religion. Um, you know, Babel actually means confusion. And the beginning of Babylon uh, is, is mentioned multiple times. Uh, in, and it, Babylon is actually um, in the land of Shiner, Nebuchadnezzar and the people who conquer uh, God's people and take them into exile. It's this battle. It's this cosmic battle being waged between the people of God and the seed of the serpent. So the seed of the woman who will ultimately lead to Christ and the seed of the serpent. And I think what, what I have never really understood until studying this recently is I think that this babble and this tower and this false religion and all these false teachings, um, the, the serpent is actually, uh, um, he's, he's beating his chest and thinking that he has actually won because at this point in the time in the history right here, um, all of the people of the earth may be, um, false in their in their sense of their 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 worshiping false gods even abraham whom god calls out as a people and a nation for himself his father is a worship of idolatry mm-hmm. so we 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 find ourselves here in babel uh in this complete and utter wickedness and darkness um it it's it's as if we were at the days of the ark again God is 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 sorry that he has made man it's complete wickedness there is intermingling again between the wicked and the righteous and there is no righteous people upon the earth that we know of at this time now there's Melchizedek which we'll come to at some point when he's from somewhere but we don't see in this story and in this lineage 
the righteous people rising up. I mean, God calls Abraham from a idolatrous people, from an idolatrous household, and uh, makes them a nation that is God's people after his 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 own possession. And so I think it's very interesting how Satan believes that he is one and God separates the nations and he will go through and redeem every single nation that yeah. uh, that Satan has said that he has dominion over. God will do that by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. That's really good, Rob. Uh, that's really good. And, and just a, maybe just a couple things um, here, you know, it, it really, you read, uh, you read verse one and you're thinking, okay, this, 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 um, this sounds good. The whole earth had one language and the same word. So they're, they're, they're unified and they, they're unified behind a, a purpose, it seems like. Um, but then it says, you know, they, they came into the land of Shinar and they, they settled there. Uh, which is not what they're supposed to do. They are supposed to be uh, multiplying and filling the earth. Um, and in this place, they they build a city, which we've 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 heard that happen before when Cain built a city and it didn't go very well after that. But the other, notice the language in 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 verse three and verse four. It says, "Come, let us make." Verse four, "Come, let us build." Uh, again in verse four, and let us make a name for ourselves. Uh, that language is language that God used in creation, where he, where he says, come, let us make man in our image. Oh, man. Um, and so, yeah. so they're using the same verbiage that God has spoken into creation, but they're using it not to make a great name for God, because if that was it, then they would be, it'd be good in what they're doing here. But they're wanting to, to set themselves up um, and build a name for themselves. And I think you're exactly right that, that this was an old, uh, an ancient ziggurat with the connection between, you know, the divine and, and the human. And uh, in, in many ways, it's, it's almost like it's a, you know, the, the ziggurat was, was meant to look uh, almost like a mountain. And, uh, you know, it's believed that, that Eden was, was kind of up on a mountain. And so this ziggurat is up on a mountain. And so it's like, a, it's like a, uh, an attempt at, at being a um, a, a man-made or, or man-centric Eden. It's a it's an inversion of Eden, mm-hmm. and and man's doing, created Eden. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 man's attempt at, at 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 creating their own Eden for their own name rather than for making themselves the out to be God. And that's why yeah. I think, and that's why I think Nimrod is an anti-Christ-like figure who uh, sets yeah, himself. Sure on the throne, you know, go ahead. Sure. No, but, but there's another really interesting connection here. Um, so you have this plane of Shinar and they build this structure, this tower, but the, 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 the way that they describe this tower in verse four, it says in a tower with its top in the heavens, that word for top there is also the Hebrew word for head, like a person's head. And so, so there's almost like a, a personification of this is, this is now the new man and we're setting up our, our head in the skies, in the heavens to be like, to be like God. The, the only other place mm-hmm. where you have a structure being built with a head on top in a plane is found. We've actually, 
uh, already referenced the book of Daniel, but Daniel 3, verse 1, listen to what it says. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And so he sets up this uh, this huge uh, this huge tower and the, and the tower and, and in Daniel, you have this, you know, when, when the visions that are cast and, and Nebuchadnezzar has the dream of, of, of a great statue and, and, and it's representative of all these nations, right. That gets crushed by the stone. I think, I think it's a connection here. I think this, this Nebuchadnezzar building this towers is the same thing that these people are doing back here in Genesis 11. Uh, and, and, and he's, he's right. making himself a great name in the land of Babylon, in this plain, and it, and it, and his statue, there's a head mm. at the top uh, where he he sees himself as as the great ruler. And so, yeah, Nebuchadnezzar, he's a new Nimrod, right? He's a new person who's, who has set himself up, and he gets completely humiliated by God, just completely destroyed in all the kingdom. And, and, and mm. I believe Daniel's vision, the stone that he sees, that the stone is Christ coming who will bring an end to all... Uh, the, the the forces of evil in the world, the powers uh, that that have set themselves up, uh, and so I think you know Genesis eleven is kind of preparing us for this idea uh, that God will des- will destroy um, these nations that have opposed Him, and uh, uh, and so so that phrase "children of man" cannot be good for them. No. In what verse? The children of man. In verse uh, verse five, God comes down to see this the the city, yes. and He calls them the children of man. Yes, they're no longer sons and daughters of the king; they're children of man. Right. Well, and and if we if we can can see that that man is attempting to build a new kind of Eden that's after their own name rather than the name of the Lord, uh, then this is then this is another fall type narrative. This is another. Adam and Eve moment where mankind, uh, where they, where they fall again. Uh, and if that's the case, then, then that makes sense with what God, what, it, with what God does in verses, um, in verses five through nine, let me read that real quick. It says, and the Lord came down to see that this, to see the city and the tower with which the children of men had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the languages or the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Um, it, when, when you think back to the garden narrative, God this is after Adam has eaten and he makes this kind of observation where he says, behold, Adam has become like us in, in knowing good and evil. Uh, now I'm going to move him out of Eden, this eternal dwelling place so that he doesn't mm. eat of the tree of life and live forever. And what we saw that that was a very gracious thing that the Lord would done or else Adam would be cursed to live in a sinful state for eternity. But instead he allows Adam to die so that it will come to an end one day. I think this is, we're supposed to, uh, to, to see this in the same kind of light. This is God doing a very gracious thing 
And if the people stay like this, they're going to kill themselves. There's going to be nothing but violence and corruption that comes out of this. And so God dispersing them and, and mixing up their languages. Now they're, they're not able to kill each other as fast. They can't get upset at each other as fast because they all speak different languages. Um, and so in a similar way that God was gracious to Adam in, in removing him from the garden here, God is, is, is gracious to, to humanity in, in forcing them to disperse throughout, uh, throughout the, the earth. Man, that's that's so good, and and there's so so much depth to the story. Obviously, you have the nations and representatives of every single tribe, tongue, and nation, which will be gathered around the throne of of God in heaven one day, and they will worship around the throne. Here, they're worshiping the false idols, the false gods, maybe even themselves as mankind, and so you have this this beginning of this narrative of returning to right worship, returning to um, the, the, who God is and right worship for these nations. And these nations who are, who are being dispersed throughout the whole world are going to come back to, uh, to God himself through the gospel of God's people. I mean, this, this narrative is, is, is so tremendous. I, I can't, I can't help but think um, that this this tower of Babel, this tower of confusion, this tower of the beginning of false religion is uh, what the enemy and what he wants to do today and what he has done throughout the history of the world. It's, he raises up uh, men and women who are of the seed of the serpent to lead people to false worship of false gods and believing themselves and elevating themselves to God. And um, at, at some point, you know, this, this narrative uh, will, will surely have persecution of tr true and right believers in a city context such as this and forcing them to build and, and some believing that they should not build and some believing they should. There's so much in this narrative that we don't know, but we can uh, imply or concur that is happening here. And at, at the end of this, it's, it's as if to say, um, the Lord is, is saying, I am not going to allow this wickedness and evil to fill the earth um, I am going to to redeem it. I'm going to make a nation for myself uh, because the whole nation or the whole world will not be able to be my people. I mean, we were created to be God's people, and now there's the seed uh, of of Cain. There's this seed of of those that are Nephilim. There's this seed of of Nimrod and now God is saying no I'm going to bring the seed of Abraham and counter um this these nations that are that are false and I'm going to bless them through Abraham. Yeah. I'm going to bless these nations through Abraham. And I think we have to understand that these nations are important to God. God does not lose sight of the nations even in his curse here at the Tower of Babel, he has not lose, lost sight of his people. God has promised this.
2 kind of gives us the reversal of Genesis 11 because uh, you have in Acts 2 you have you know the disciples are all huddled up this is after the resurrection Christ has has told them to go in and, and wait until uh, his spirit falls upon them and so they're in the room the spirit falls and there's there's tongues of fire that's resting on them and and all this but then uh, they're all they're all uh, speaking people are hearing the same language, right? Or they're hearing them speak. And, and then there's a list of all these nations in verses nine through 10, the Parthians and the Medes and the Elamites and the Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia. What all those nations, if you were to, if you were kind of draw a circle, it's a, it's a, it'd be like a 360 degree circumference. Those, it's like all the nations of the world there have come and they're hearing the gospel. And this time they're not, the, the language, there's not a language barrier. They're hearing the gospel in their in their own language, and so Acts two, I think, mm-hmm. is meant to be to be seen as as a reversal of of Genesis eleven and a fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham of the gospel of of of, of, of his family blessing the nations. That's what's going on there in Acts two, um, and just uh, mm. a just a great uh, great thing there. I do want to make one interesting yeah. connection here. Uh, before we go, and I and and you you very well may disagree, but that's okay. Uh, Moses at the end of his life in in Deuteronomy thirty two, uh, harkens back to uh, what I believe are the moments in Genesis eleven. So this is De- Deuteronomy thirty two, verse eight, and you have it's in this song of Moses. It's one of his 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 closing things, and his here's what it says. It's very interesting. It says, when the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, then it kind of explains that when he divided mankind. So so it's talking about the division of mankind, which is the same kind of language that that Genesis 10 and 11 uses of the nations being divided. When, When he divided mankind, it says he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. Then in verse nine, but the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. So really interesting what he says there. He says, I'm dividing it and I'm giving, uh, I'm fixing the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. So the question is, who are the sons of God? Uh, I believe that the sons of God are these fallen angelic beings whom the nations have kind of aligned with. And God is saying, okay, you guys, I'm going to give you over to them. But then in verse nine, he says, but I'm going to have my portion. Jacob, Israel is going to be, is going to be my allotted, allotted heritage. And so what you have going on there, these 70 nations that Genesis 10 speaks of are, are kind of given over to, to these, these fallen rebellious sons of God, verse eight. And if that's the case, then I really think it makes sense uh, why Jesus would send out 70 disciples. It, it's like each disciple is, is a representative of these nations, and he's going out proclaiming his dominion 
over these nations, over these fallen rebellious beings, whether you believe they're Nephilim or whoever, whatever, over over these guys. And he's and he's doing that kind of as almost like a power flex saying, now's the time I've come. My kingdom is now going to overthrow your kingdom. My 70 disciples are going to are going to overthrow your 70 uh, rebellious nations. So uh, mm-hmm. anyway, That's interesting, good. maybe maybe an interesting thing there. What, what do you think? Interesting. Bro? Interesting topic. Well, I mean, you could you could put, pick the uh, sons of God as the 70 from the line of Noah. Uh, just as you had the sons of God from the line of Seth, you could have these 70 nations as the sons of God who were rebellious just as uh, just just as the lineage of Seth was rebellious in the yeah. days of Noah. You could have these these 70 nations who were rebellious um, against God and God makes the one. Uh, nation from Abraham. So I, I think I think your point is well taken. The, the purpose of God is that he he has a plan, and through the seed of a woman that's promised in Genesis three fifteen, he will crush the head of the serpent, and the seed of the serpent uh, will will not prevail. And I think we see Nimrod as this type of of the seed of the serpent. I think we see. Uh, Babel as this 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 um, picture of of the people who have um, become evil in 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 their own right and worshiping um, themselves and and gods and false gods and I think I think what we'll see here in the storyline is God will bless the nations through Abraham yeah and so that right like. I think you're going to talk about this maybe next time we meet, but I think the central piece of the book is, is, is God calling of Abraham and him blessing the nations through the seed of Abraham. And, uh, that is the, that is the central part. God has a plan for the redemption and the restoration of his creation. Yeah. So I guess, I guess if you're going to put this in a, in a, uh, context of a, of the of the of of the deed like how do we apply what we have heard in the theological principles i think that you have to say that it is god's plan to redeem and restore the nations it is god's plan to go and rescue the 70 nations which have disobeyed and forgotten and worship false gods and so for us as the people of god we have to remind ourselves that our call is God's call and God's call is to go to these nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ and overcome the enemy and his 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 people by sharing that gospel and part of that is is a uh, is is going to these nations and and sharing with them the truth, just as Jesus sent out the 70 disciples to counter the 70 here in the table of nations that um, rejected rejected God and worshiped false gods. Um, God is redeeming that which is broken and will restore it back into um, where he wants it to be. And and this is this is God's plan, right? He says, and and the kingdom will will not come to an end until 
the gospel has been preached to all the nations. And yeah. what a beautiful picture of this that is. You know, he's redeeming that which was lost in the tower, that which was lost in, at this point in time uh, through one language. Um, God is saying, no, I have not forgotten you, nations. I have not forgotten who you are, and I'm coming for you with the gospel and redemption through the blood of Christ. That's good. What a beautiful picture. Absolutely. Good stuff, Rob. So I guess, I guess, uh, where are we going to the nations, Tim? Where, where, where are you going? Well, we're hoping to go to Utah. Uh, so we're still going to stay in the nation, but a place that is in desperate need of hearing the gospel. We're hoping to go out there in the spring. So, yeah. uh, I know you've led your church out there and, and you might have plans to go back. I don't know, but, uh, but we both, you know, I both have spent time in the nations. You, uh, uh, well, I was going to say longer, but I, I did live five years in Germany. My, my parents were missionaries. And so, uh, yeah. but you, you and Jordan were church planners in Thailand and, uh, have, have firsthand experience of demonic forces, uh, at play. Maybe, maybe one of these days we can just do a, we can do a bo- podcast about some of your experiences in Thailand. I think that'd be good. Uh, sure. And, sure. Uh, no, the the nations is 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 God's heart and God's design. Yeah. And when we can, and it needs to be our heart. If God's you don't have people, a heart for the nations, then I'm not sure that you have a heart for God. Just if if we just want to right. put it bluntly, I don't I don't think that those two. I don't think you can say, uh, oh, I I don't you know the, the missions work or going to the nations is is for other people. I'm just gonna be content mm-hmm. here and grow my own. That like that doesn't. That, that's antithetical to everything that the scripture says. Um, you, when you were born again, you were given a heart for the glory of God to be seen and uh, reveled in throughout all the globe. Um, and if you don't have right. that, then I, th- I think you really need to be doing some deep uh, soul searching to and see if you truly understand who God is, uh, and 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 His plan through the gospel, uh, as you said, to uh, to overcome these serpent seeds nations that exist uh, that need to be mm. uh, turned to their Savior. Let me be clear. You know, I think I think when we say the seed of the serpent, we're we're meaning people who are not the people of God. That's right. We're meaning people, I mean, what the scripture says, if, you know, we were enemies of God, we were, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were, you know, following the principality, prince and principalities of the air. We were, we were followers of Satan. And until God rescued us and we heard the gospel of truth and we were saved and redeemed and the power and the presence of God came upon us through his Holy Spirit. We were following the Satan. And so I'm, I'm not meaning satanic and uh, in what we would call today Satan worshipers. I'm meaning people who don't uh, have the spirit of the living God, yeah. that they're not reflecting the image of, of God himself. And, these, these, what image are you reflecting if you are not reflecting the image of God? Well, you're reflecting the image of the serpent. Right. And so uh, these image bearers of the serpent um, are 
are in the earth and God's people are coming to share with them how God wants to save them and restore them, redeem them and fill them with his presence. It's good stuff. So good. Well, uh, yeah, maybe let me close out our podcast with a resource. Uh, I said last time I've got some, just some recommended podcasts for you to listen again, maybe we're not supposed to recommend other podcasts, but our goal is to see you grow in the knowledge of the word and in the knowledge of the gospel. Uh, and so I think these have been beneficial to me in my life. And so I want to me, that probably sounded like I said, me and my wife, which her too, but me and my life. Uh, but it's a podcast that's put out by some people at the village church, Matt Chandler's church down in, uh, Dallas area, but it's called knowing faith, knowing faith, uh, three kind of, uh, co-hosts on that are a guy by the name of JT English. Uh, and then there is Jen Wilkin, uh, and, uh, third guy, I'm trying to blank on his name. Uh, they'll probably never listen to this, so he won't be offended. Um, but, uh, but anyway, knowing faith podcast, they, they do a lot of, uh, walking through books. They, they cover a lot of topics and, uh, and so I strongly encourage you to give them a listen, knowing faith. They're also pretty funny as well. Uh, uh, Kyle, Kyle Worley. There we go. There's a third so, guy. I knew it would come to me. We're, we're, we are through 11 chapters of Genesis. And if you've been with us, you've seen, uh, some of the themes and principles in, in, in the book. And you have also understood how we apply those today. So we're excited about what God's doing on the podcast here at Creed and Deed. We're going to sign off. This is Rob Lindley with Tim Hare. Creed and Deed podcast will be here every Monday. We love you guys. We'll see you soon. The enemy, for the hell of man is nothing But with God we gain the victory He will trample down our Thank you for listening to Creed Indeed. We are a podcast seeking to discuss biblical truth and its application to everyday life. If you are enjoying the conversations that Rob and I are having, then we'd like to encourage you to subscribe to our podcast and consider giving us a rating and some feedback as well as like our page on Facebook. That will allow us to better be able to interact with our listeners. Our theme music, entitled King of the Mountain, is by our dear friend Erskine Anavitarte. And our interlude and concluding music comes to you from a very talented husband and wife duo called Poor Bishop Hooper. All of their information can be found in the show notes below each episode. We want to close with this verse from Isaiah 40, verse 8. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Grace and peace.